0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the MGA Podcast, the Modern Golden Age podcast. And today I have with me the one and only Ulkar Ageyava. And the first question is, is that how we pronounce your uh, surname or did I just say it wrong?
1: Yeah, yeah, so the correct pronunciation is Ukar Oh. Okay. in Azerbaijani. Okay. Yeah. Um, but okay. yeah, in English it's more like Ulkar Agayeva, yeah, and oh, that's fine perfect. too.
0: Yeah. yeah. So how, how do you deal with that? Because like most people don't, don't, um, they cannot pronounce joao so they just say joao, and I'm just perfectly fine with that. But have you like, do you have any problem with that, or you just accept it? Uh...
1: I think I've, I'm, yeah, I've gotten used to it. Yeah. So, Ulkar is is totally fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Perfect. So Ulkar, um, we've met at this uh, salon that you organized, that was beautifully organized, by the way. Congratulations on that, Uh, about music and literature. And I definitely want to talk about that. But my first question is, how did you ended up being part of the intellect community?
1: Right, so um, like so many things in the past years, um, this became possible thanks to Twitter, one way or another. Um, so I knew about the existence of um, inter-intellect salons for maybe like a couple of years, and I actually participated in one uh, organized by Visa Khan, Army, on yeah. uh, speeding up golden ages. So yeah. um, that, that, that was, I think, the only salon that I attended before. Um, but a couple of months ago, I met uh, the founder of inter-intellect, got here in yeah. New York. Um, Yeah, and we just um, talked a bit about my work in music and um, I knew then that I also want to host a salon, but I wasn't yet sure what the subject was going to be about. But then, you know, one by one pieces started coming together and um, so initially the idea was uh, to host salons um, discussing the art of composing.
2: So mm-hmm. the process
1: of composition of classical music. Yeah. Um, but then I thought um, it would be really nice to, first of all, to invite my my musicians that I know um, um, to this salon to co-host with me. But also I have some writer friends. Um, and one of them is also a musician. So there's like, there's a lot of inter- intersections. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so that we collaborate and not just talk about music, but also parallels in the creative process of writing both music and literature. And it seems like it's a very fertile ground. Um, and the first time we gathered to talk about, um, you know, the salon series, because we knew that we cannot just put everything in one salon. So it's going to be uh, a series of them. Yeah, just things kept coming up. And um, yeah, there's so much to cover and i'm glad that we already have two of those salons um like as, a, as an introduction to the subject yeah. um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next ones
0: yeah and, and and unfortunately i wasn't able to go to the second one but i went to the, the first one and i absolutely loved it um so mm-hmm. and and how, how did you feel about being asked to be uh, a guest? Is Because for the folks who are listening and don't know what intellect, inter-intellect is about, it's a community that arranges this intellectual debate in salon, salons about different topics. Uh, and, and how did you feel about being a host? Like, was that uh, natural to you? Were you somehow scared because I had the invitation to be a host and I was really scared so I said no but I'm really curious about how did you feel about it?
1: Oh I think yeah I was totally excited about it. I I already had some ideas uh, even like before I knew about the existence of Interintellect Salon. I had ideas about um, organizing kind of hybrid events where there is a mini lecture followed by music where we explore parallels between music and other human endeavors. So like, this is kind of uh, the very idea of it is not kind of new to me. I, I was thinking of doing that, but you know, that was before the pandemic. So that kind of got canceled. Um, And then finally it became possible in the form of, of the intellect, intellect salon. So, um, and I think like the key thing about the salons is that you're not to be expect, you're not expected to be an expert in a field. Yeah. right it's it's yeah like it it's nice if you um you know have some points to make um yeah. and some some points of discussion that you want to bring to the table but it's all about participation it's all about conversation
2: yeah
1: right um and i think it's even more um because you know salons as we know them they were in person right uh, uh it's only now that where either, uh, yeah, we have no choice but do them online, or um, in a way, it's it's good because we can connect to people on different parts Absolutely. of the globe.
2: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: so that we don't have to be in the same place. But like when we are in the same place, it's a completely different experience, of course. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really really glad that this is happening, and this is also I would say something that is a manifestation of. Uh, of a golden age, you could say, because people have interest in this, people have things to say, people have people have things to share. And then some sometimes there are collaborations germinating and developing from meetings that happen at the salons. So yeah. it's it's not only a place to like to share your opinions or tell stories that you have to tell, but also to connect to people. And then who knows, maybe that can carry over to other projects
0: yeah absolutely yeah. and once again you need a, a, a very very good job because i was really when when i went there i, I was really curious about I, I i actually thought that we're focusing more on the the creative process but then what happened was we ended up having all this discussion about different art forms and how music can, can complement the writing part and writing part actually with music in the relationship yeah. and show these beautiful music uh that that i've recorded but i cannot the name. can you please say it like um the the song that you that you showed us so
1: sure. the, the first recording that we listened to was samuel barber's yeah. uh knoxville summer of 1915 so it's a piece for a soprano or mezzo soprano and orchestra yeah
2: um
1: and this is yeah this is a very unusual work because um you know we, we think of composition as a long process that it can take uh, weeks and months and years sometimes for especially for like large-scale works yeah. um, but this particular piece I think the composer himself was very intentional about uh, being very spontaneous about his own process of writing um, because the piece the, the literary piece that it's, it's based on was also yeah. um, a result of improvisation yeah it was kind of stream of consciousness kind of writing, and then he took the la- last third of that uh, short story um, and wrote music to it and like I think he he completed it so this the story itself was written within an hour and a half or so, and then it took him three days to to write music to it and this is a huge accomplishment because it's a very complex score it's it's gorgeous and it's very um yeah, I, th- I think it, it makes a huge difference when you just read it in your own ways, mm-hmm. the the story, versus mm-hmm. when you listen to it rendered in music. And the music highlights different points in the narration that you probably um, wouldn't, you know, pay so much attention to, or they wouldn't yeah. have that salience when they're hugely amplified by the music.
0: Yeah. So did, did you... Um... Did you find out that specific piece when you were getting ready to the salon or did you already knew it?
1: Yeah, I. Uh, so I was introduced to it by um, a student who was working in my lab. She, um, she's a biologist in addition to being a biologist. Um, and I don't remember... Um How we came to discuss this piece, but she told me that I should definitely listen to it, mm-hmm. and so I did and it was I think it was January of twenty twenty and I was enamored by it uh, I was totally blown away. I was listening to it on repeat many times so like so the, yeah there are I think there are several well many pieces um of classical music um that I somehow happened upon or that were more rarely recommended to me that um yeah they they for some time they become an obsession yeah so i i have to listen to different performances uh you know different recordings and if i get a chance also to li- listen to them live and just like savor the the entirety of the piece and all its details so like um this this is for sure um this is one of those pieces
0: yeah can can you name just a few more like two or three because uh, like I, I'll give you an example. To me, that was uh, the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. I remember the first time oh, that I heard oh, that, I yes. was completely oh, yeah. blown away. I actually yeah. I, I heard that when I was in college, um, and and we used to have like these these moments where we would we would schedule a room in, in the university and we bring not no instruments were allowed because I was studying music back then in college right mm-hmm. so no instruments were allowed the only thing that we could bring was like a cd or an ipod and we connected to the speakers and we and we would just listen to music and mm-hmm. we we did that with jazz and I remember that once there was like this classical musician that ended up going with us and told us like oh I, I really enjoyed those rhythmic figures and you should and a Speaking of rhythm, you should listen to this specific mm-hmm. song by Stravinsky. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to it, and I was so blown away that next day we're about to do that uh, ritual of going to listen to music. I actually booked another room all by myself with another speaker mm-hmm. just to listen to the whole song from, from mm-hmm. the beginning to the end. And I was completely blown away. It's still one of my favorites, um, uh, or my favorite classical musical pieces. And I would love to hear uh, what are some of yours.
1: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, for sure. I, first of all, I can totally relate to to your experience because yeah, there is. It's an incredibly rich, um, work. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, for me, um, yeah, I, I was. I would say that I I had also like yeah periods of obsession with particular composers or pieces, um, and one thing that like among my recent finds, um, so there is this. Uh, Ravel's uh, piano trio mm-hmm. uh, and specifically the third movement of it um, which is if you look at the score it's very simple but at the same time it's incredibly powerful mm-hmm. so it's just very sparse language this is what I'm learning as a composer that uh, you can use very sparse language and yet achieve incredibly powerful results So that's one thing. Um, Another is um, so I was, I was listening to a lot of uh, piano trios recently because I'm working on on one myself. Um, So another another one is so Shostakovich has two piano trios. Um, One of them is just like one movement is more like a poem kind of work, Um, and the other one it, it has four parts, four movements, and. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible in its entirety, but again, the third movement is one that um, it's it somehow has a similar um, structure and mood to the Ravel's, um, this, you know, the third movement of Ravel's mm-hmm. piano trio. Um, so that that's something that I was completely smitten by. And then, you know, if we go back to like earlier music, I also really love... Uh, medieval and renaissance music, even mm-hmm. before going to Bach, even before before the Baroque. Um, and there is this uh, Flemish-French composer, uh, Jascar Desprez, um, and he, he has written a lot of masses and more secular works, mm-hmm. and there is one mass that I completely adore, and I, I don't know how many times I've listened to it, performed by the Thales scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Missa Pange Lingua, um, so it's based on a on a Gregorian chant that was ascribed to Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mass itself, it's just it's just mind blowing. I um, yeah, and I, th- I think it really matters uh, how it's performed because I also listened to a couple of other perform- performances of it. But the Tallis scholars, they are truly masters of of early music that's for yeah. sure yeah i mean i can go on and on you no, know there, yeah. are, there are a lot of pieces like this yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: but one the yeah. thing that that, that that you just mentioned and of course i want to talk about composing since you're a composer you're you're also a biologist and we need to talk about yeah. all this, those different things but one yeah. of the things that you just mentioned was uh, like that that was one of the things that i had to learn about classical music because i came from jazz and um when mm-hmm. when you're playing jazz like the person who's playing matters a lot because it would play a completely different thing. Like if, mm-hmm. if if it's me and another guitar player and you're both playing my solo would be completely different of his. And in mm-hmm. my mind, I, I always thought that, that well, classical music, uh, it, 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 it's and I'm I'm sorry, but I thought that. I, I, I used to say like, that's so boring because everyone will play it the same way. I, I know <laughs> that if I listen to that song, it'll be always the same thing. And then when I had real connection with, with, with classical music and classical musicians that played at a, a very good level I was blown away by how uh, stupid I had been because it, it makes a whole difference like the same piece played by two different players will be completely different yeah, yeah, um, for and, sure. and, and yeah. that's something that as an and, and and making a segue to compose it, that's, that's usually something like for, for me when I wrote music, I usually wrote a lot of jazz tunes and I had the privilege to be able to write to specific musicians because they were the ones playing with me and I knew how a certain piano player would approach music and how a certain drummer would approach music and I was able to compose to them. But when, when you're playing like, uh, when you're actually writing classical music, I believe, I'm not sure, and you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you cannot do that. So entering in the composition world, how did you, uh, how do you deal with that? Like how you, how you deal with that ambiguity, ambiguity, I think that's how you said. it, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by that is related to who's playing your own um, composition.
1: Yeah, I would say first of all, yeah, indeed, there is a world of difference in how different musicians interpret classical pieces, yeah. um, and like you know, you you can you can see that difference among contemporaries, but also if you take like a historical view, um, how music was performed, let's say in the beginning of the 20th century, you know, from the time that we have recordings from, and compare them to these days recordings there's an enormous difference and some people say that oh you know because there is there is such a huge demand on technical precision and like generally technicality uh, so recordings of today are more polished but somehow they're more alike than if you look at uh, recordings from earlier um, earlier times and then like you can like you can immediately identify oh this is Glenn Gould playing this is Horowitz playing or you know this is Richter playing uh, without even like looking at the you know uh, on the CD or or vinyl or or whatever you're listening to Um, but like in my own work I don't really I don't have I don't have that in mind while I'm writing to be honest because I'm um, I'm writing music, right? I don't really write, write for musicians in that sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe like later I would have to take this into account, but also I'm happy to see how different people would interpret my music. you know I have opinions about how it should be played,
2: mm-hmm. right
1: and um when when we were recording my first suite for cello and piano, we had a lot of discussion with my teacher. He was actually the one who played the cello part, so that was really nice because he he has seen me. Write this piece from start to finish, mm-hmm. and we were having a lot of discussions about you know how this, um, yeah, like a lot, a lot of deci- a lot a lot of decisions along the way. Um, so he was more familiar with the with the with the piece from the beginning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I would say that you know that's not too much on my mind, and I'm 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 interested in how pe- different people would interpret, especially you know also, of course, you can make, you know notes, annotations um, in a way that uh, conveys your intentions about the piece, but also uh, the good thing is that I can talk to the musicians in person and then we can discuss how, how the thing should be played.
0: Yeah. yeah. So how did you end up uh, composing? So how, uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with music and then specifically with, with composing
1: yeah this is a pretty recent thing in my life uh, composing so not not uh, music in general but composing because um so my mom is a violinist and she was trained as a violinist and she used to teach uh for some time but then um she she let me play piano instead she didn't i don't think yeah she it it, it never came up um as an option for me to learn other instruments to be honest but i was already <laughs> enamored by piano um, and so i started learning at the age of six and at some point i have considered becoming a professional musician but then um, i think i was also very strongly drawn to sciences and so i made a decision in favor of sciences um, and then um, yeah while i was in college there wasn't really much time to practice uh, so mm-hmm. for some time I was mostly a listener rather than performer, but then I came back to performing, and i when I moved to New York, I found that a really nice teacher um, and with her, yeah like she she definitely deepened my understanding and my analytical ability um, with respect to music, piano music first of all mm-hmm. um so yeah, I learned a lot of Russian romanticism with her and also a lot of Bach. Um, and then at some point, I got really interested in, interested in early music, as I mentioned, but not only vocal music, but also, um, you know, the instruments from those olden times, mm-hmm. uh, like lute and harpsichord. So I took a couple of lessons in hapsichord, uh, which is a completely magical instrument. It's very different from piano. It's a completely different thing. Um, and yeah so like i would have continued those lessons had it not been for a pandemic to be honest but i had to give that up um and then i think the major turning point in my life was this one concert that i attended and i remember the day to this day uh it was august 14th 2019 and it was a um it was a house concert Uh, so it, it wasn't like a Traditional stage performance, mm-hmm. but a place where it was still quite a large audience, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it was way more informal, and also you could approach musicians and talk to them. Yeah, uh, it was. Were different from traditional stage performance,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and those were four cellists from Juilliard, and the pieces that they play and their mastery is completely blew me away and i i just felt some kind of stirring of movement inside me that i i just couldn't remain passive with respect to this experience it just it just urged me to do something about it because it has such a such an intense effect on me and so that's when i first thought that i want to write music and i think um yeah i think i kind of grew up thinking that because all of the music I've been hearing was so astounding and had such a strong emotional effect on me, I, I just couldn't conceive that I could ever write anything like that, mm-hmm. right? I was just overwhelmed by the experience. Um, and I guess it wasn't part of my upbringing that, oh, yes, like writing music is something that you can do,
2: right? Mm-hmm. Just
1: like writing stories or like, I don't know, learning biology or whatever, right? mm-hmm. Um, so yeah it was just wasn't part of my upbringing unfortunately Um, so I just kept collecting musical experiences throughout my life and then at some point they just like coalesced and precipitated in this like very like crisp decision to start writing music myself Mm -hmm. Um, and so and I think one reason why I felt more felt compelled to do it and also felt like i I could do it is because I found um, like a little niche in which I could uh, express myself, which I thought that hasn't been explored before from what I knew, and that is the intersection with between Azerbaijani traditional music, which is called morram with um more like uh, yeah traditional western uh, baroque music forms so like um. Yeah, maybe I should tell a little bit more about muham Please go um, okay. Yeah, so it's a very, uh, yeah, it's a very storied kind of um, musical tradition. And it is an amalgam of many influences as is pretty much all the culture of Azerbaijan, I would say, because uh, the country, what it is, Azerbaijan now has been a part of um empires that were just um following each other Mm
2: -hmm. throughout
1: centuries and so there is a a a strong arabic influence um and also a tradition of bards that is traveling musicians Mm -hmm. um which is similar to what was happening in greece and, and Eastern Europe and mm. all, I think all over the place. Yeah. Um, but it's a very distinct style of singing, which is microtonal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there are specific instruments that are either pluck strings or uh, bowed strings um, or percussion instruments. And muham can be performed both as a solo in, with a solo instrument or voice or in the form of an ensemble and when it's performed solo uh, the thing about it is um is that it's unmetered so it doesn't mm. have a fixed rhythm mm. it feels more like a narration mm-hmm. it has a very like it feels like a speech it's like feels yeah. like someone is telling you a story like we're much more literally than other kinds of music may seem um, and it also it's based on a model system, so there mm-hmm. are seven main modes that yeah. express different moods. Um,
0: are,
1: are so? Yeah. The
0: question: Are they at all related with our Western modes, or, or are they completely different?
1: Not, not really.
0: Oh, completely. awesome!
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe there is some semblance to the Indian raga. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, but. So like they can express different moods, but it's not just like major and minor. Yeah, yeah, scales, yeah, yeah. Right? It's 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 a bit. Like, there are different tones that are used in each scale, mm-hmm. including microtonal, uh, like quarter tones. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I grew up with this music, but I think as a child I was rather overwhelmed by it because it's so intense and incredibly emotional. Um, so, you know. I grew up in its presence but i haven't really um i didn't really explore it mm. in depth at the time but then maybe also living abroad um for such a long time it made me homesick and i, I found myself just returning to you know the recordings that i could find um and just a- absorbing it and like re- rediscovering it essentially but also you know in the 20th century when you know azerbaijan Became part of the Soviet Union, so there was a big influence of Russian musical school, and uh, there are like prominent, several prominent Azerbaijani composers who um, initiated the tradition of classical Azerbaijani music, which which is very much drawing upon muham tradition, mm-hmm. but also uses Western forms. Like there is a muham opera, there are symphonic muhams, there's um, you know chamber works that. You are using Moham harmonies, but they're not really microtonal anymore. Mm. Um, but they're like they have a very distinct uh, harmonic profile, let's let's say.
2: Mm-hmm. And so,
1: I yeah, you know, I, I love that music. I it's not, um, I, I very much resonate with it. And I thought that oh, you know, I'm not aware of any um, compositions that try to. Um, Mary Moham with Baroque musical forms, let's say with mm-hmm. fugues. And like, I really love polyphonic music. I, you know, um, yeah, I spend like countless hours listening to all of the things that Bach wrote and other yeah. uh, contrapuntal works by other composers. So it's, you know, this form also really resonates with me because of its richness and complexity and because it's so yeah, expressive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I thought, oh, let me try to write a Muhammad Fugue. I don't think anyone has done that before.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I, I started writing my draft, and then I reached out to one of those musicians that I met in that fateful concert. Um, and yeah, he gave me a very encouraging feedback. Um, but like at that time, it was like fall of two thousand and nineteen. I I didn't really finish that piece that I started, right? I just wrote mm-hmm. one page and it was kind of draft, a draft.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that was the time when I was you know, applying for jobs in academia. So it was like, I, a lot of my energy was spent on that. Yeah, so I kind of had to like, um, yeah, put a hold on it on my, on my musical project, yeah. you know? And then of course, you know, pandemic happened and like everything changed a lot. And I, you know, I joined a new lab. So I settled a little bit professionally. And then I felt like, oh, music is coming back to me. It really wants to, you know, be expressed from me somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I reached again to um, to one of those musicians. And now he's my teacher. Um, and I started actually taking first lessons in jam- jazz improvisation and theater. Because I oh, thought, awesome. Yeah, yeah. There is a, actually a whole fusion genre called jazz moham. Uh, and there is there's like a pioneer Azerbaijani pianist, Bagif Mustafa Zadeh, who, um, yeah, created a whole new genre from ground up. Awesome. And I, I also, like I grew up listening to his music. I'm very much inspired by his work as well. Um, and so I thought, okay, I want to maybe explore this instead of more classical forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a very um, fertile, like very productive period for me when I, yeah, my teacher told me a lot about, you know, uh, jazz theory and we analyzed a lot of pieces and I tried to improvise on some chord progressions. But mm. then at some point, it was, I think, December of 2020, um, I thought that, oh, I think I want to return to that fugue that I started writing and see where it takes me. Yeah. And then, like, suddenly, somehow it just, it just happened. It just, I wrote it within a month. I finished it mm. within a month. And, um. I think it like, yeah, there was kind of a necessity in writing. it, like it kind of poured Mm -hmm. out of me and and, uh, it was challenging. It was hard. It wasn't easy, but it felt very good. I've never, like it was a a completely different kind of joy that I haven't experienced even as a like researcher or doing anything, pretty much anything in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like incredibly uplifting and very fulfilling. Yeah. yeah, so
0: how, how did, like, do you think that the fact that you were, like, that amount of time, uh, not only um, playing music, but then when you did come back to music, you you approached more like an, an improvised version of it, you think that helped with composing? Because I remember that when I was composing, and, and of course, I didn't compose to, to, to uh, in, in a classical um, sense, I, I, usually, I, I composed more, like, jazz tunes and songs and and Mm -hmm. and and that kind of uh, of of music even though i made some arrangements to more bigger groups but like to me one of the things that usually helped me my in my creative process was uh, i i knew that if i spend a lot of time improvising around different ideas somehow like it it was almost like i unlocked different ideas that then somehow correlated and and ended up being like this full piece. Uh, that just formed based on these different improvisations, but uh, I'm curious, do you think that that had that has happened to you like did improvisation improvisation uh, helped you then being uh, having it more uh, easier like it it made more easier to compose that that part or do you think it's not related at, at all
1: so I would say that like internal experience of improvising versus composing is very different even though i can because like improvisation it's something that's happening in real time right if you are performing something by improvising like to me it's a very stressful experience even like Mm -hmm. just being at the lesson with my teacher and like okay Mm -hmm. let's let's try to improvise on this chord like i feel arrested somehow it's not yeah it um it's very challenging to me in that regard but even like when i'm composing so it happens both when I'm, you know, sitting at the piano, and then yes, I may may improvise. And then whatever sticks, I just put in the score. Mm -hmm. Right. But usually, it's more um, kind of defined process. Mm -hmm. So as if there is already... A melody or a or some kind of rhythmic pattern that exists and then it enters my mind and i know that it should be in the piece
2: mm.
1: right and maybe mm. it would be more, much more difficult to me uh for me to do it on the fly yeah. because of my you know of my experience of improvisation as a stressful thing yeah. but when i'm composing i feel like oh i have all the time that i need and i'm just like and th- then it somehow arises spontaneously mm-hmm. so like i also find that things that end up in my scores they don't just appear when i'm sitting at the piano improvising but sometimes or actually oftentimes it's like before i fall asleep or when i'm walking on the street or uh i don't know washing dishes or something like that so like it feels like my brain is just working in the background and then suddenly it finds a solution and then it appears in my conscious uh, consciousness so it's like um, the, the yeah.
0: diffuse mode of the brain, right? Like I, 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 yeah, I, it's, yeah. it's like, when, when it's
1: not under pressure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like Barbara Oakland talks about that in the, of course, course, the famous Corsair of course, learning how to learn something like that. She talks about like how our brain, when, when you're doing other stuff, it, it, it makes all these unconscious connections and then allows for a creative uh, and spontaneous thing to arise. So it, yeah. it makes it all sense. so, and, and that's, Basically, that's your uh, creative process, or do you have like any routines or anything that helps you um, get those ideas more often? Or you just let it flow and end up uh, writing what what appears?
1: Yeah. So I don't really have a routine, to be honest. Um, so it's not like you know, every morning at nine a.m. I have to be at the yeah. piano and and write whatever it comes. And I know that this is this is this seems to be. A, a, something that a lot of the prominent artists and composers and writers have actually i've been reading reading this book called um, daily habits how artists work and it appears that a lot of them yeah they did have fixed hours when they what that they dedicated solely to writing without any distractions and it can be like usually for a lot of people it's morning but then you know depending on their other jobs or other responsibilities can be nighttime or something like that but for me yeah i i just um i i don't have a routine and i don't feel like i need it
2: Mm.
1: because when the thing has you know if it's if it's to be written it will be written Mm. you know yeah um but also i would say that i think there is like a lot of again background activity that's happening on my mind, even though I'm not actively consciously thinking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, the work that I'm right, uh, working on right now. Um, but also, I would say that, um, it matters what I listen to. So, I kind of, um, let's say I've, I've been listening to those piano trios or string trios, um, just to get a sense of the structural possibilities,
2: yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, what kind of story I want to tell. Um, and how, in what ways instruments can interact with each other. So it's more like meta-level kind of yeah. information.
0: Yeah, not, even not
1: so I much. Can enjoy, yeah, me, I, can, I can enjoy, I can, yeah, no, no, no. I can like, greatly enjoy the music itself, like in Ravel trio, Ravel's trio, or like Foray, or Shostakovich. Um, but, you know. I'm not, influ- I don't, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't use their musical ideas. Right. Yeah. I have, yeah. I'm, I'm working in my own kind of space. Yeah. Um, but, Oh, there's like one story that's like, it happened to me last fall. And like, this is to say that it really matters what I listen to. Yeah. Because there's some, sometimes, um, and it, again, this hasn't happened with classical music from me, but it happened with a soundtrack so i i greatly enjoyed the the movie dune and the score is magnificent and i just you know i download the soundtrack i listen to it quite a lot of time times and then i realized that the piece i was writing it's like it's just me rephrasing the dune soundtrack somehow (laughs) it's like it felt it and like it was such an arresting feeling because I thought oh i'm you know I'm coming up with new, new ideas and then when I look at it closely, oh, this is just something that rhymes with the with that phrase from from the soundtrack or something like that yeah. and it was it was really uh counterproductive it was a it was a negative influence yeah. uh actually so again like, I enjoyed that that soundtrack, but then it somehow got in the way of my own writing yeah. so I want to be pretty cautious with what I'm listening to while I'm writing.
0: Yeah, of course. Is there uh, like, yeah. besides, besides the other music, is there like, because um, you told like, um, that you actually said that, that how you end up thinking about what kind of story do you want to tell? And, and like, is there, like, how do you think about that? Do you, do you try to, when you're composing, do you think about a specific story? And when I say story, I mean, it can be just a set of emotions Or 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 do you or do you compose based on a specific idea of a story that you have in your mind? Or is it just because I I remember having this discussion with a bunch of friends and like we had these completely different approaches. So a bunch of my friends would look into music and they would create like a sequence of chords, harmony, melody that that just that that was right, let's and and didn't actually tell a story, it was just that. And then I, what I usually try to do was I, I, I would pick an, on books or stories that I've read and I would try to compose based on those. Now, I'm really curious about what you mean by story. Do you actually think about a specific story or is it just a, a metaphor? How, how What do you think about when you're writing a, a piece?
1: Yeah, it can be more or less abstract, I would say, for different things that I have written or I'm right write- writing right now. It can be at th- different levels of abstraction. So, um, yeah, and those ideas can arise spontaneously, right? Mm. Um, so one of my projects I'm working on right now is called Four Elements. Um, and I conceived it as a pretty large work consisting of four movements and each movement is one of the elements yeah. So, like water, fire, earth and air. So already that gives you a lot of like rich context to yeah. how music may sound like and even like, you know, it also tells me what kind of instrumentation I, I, I yeah. want to use, right? It will be yeah. we very different from air versus earth, let's say, yeah. right? With earth, I, I imagine, oh, there's going to be some like a lot of percussion. Um, and some rich kind of sounds, um, and with the air, with the air, it has to be some voice piece with some string instruments or like with plucked yeah. strings. So like already that shapes what what uh, means you're gonna use in the mm-hmm. in the writing, right? So you know that that, that idea uh, came to me when I was thinking about, um, yeah, I actually wanted to organize concerts around the time of spring equinox uh which is celebrated in azerbaijan as the new year Mm -hmm. Uh, novruz it's also celebrated in other countries um and you know this tradition of um of novruz it's also um it includes um celebrating those four elements yeah so there are on the four Tuesdays that precedes spring equinox there are celebrations that are dedicated to each of this uh, each of this elements so yeah i just thought about it and i thought oh this sounds like uh like a piece of music i could, yeah. I, could I could do something like that and again like where the very nature uh, these are maybe like primal kind of elements in the sense that um Maybe you can find them in different pieces of music, and maybe they're just named differently. But um, they're like four temperaments, right? You can mm-hmm. think of them as four temperaments, or like four mental states, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of other pieces um, that I wrote—they they arose as as my tribute to to Azerbaijani composers that I admire. Yeah. So. I wrote two fugues whose subjects are based on on a on you know on the opening theme um, from a ballet or um, or or a, or a symphonic moran. um so like you know it's it's a wonderful melody, and then I feel like, oh, what if I elaborate on it and like my my thoughts naturally go to a fugue, right mm-hmm. and fugue is it's more abstract, it's more about moods and interaction of voices yeah. it's um yeah it's, it's harder to think of it as a narrative yeah. in that sense um but also when i when i think about like um works that consist of several parts like several movements um then you can think about oh how those parts relate to each other right mm-hmm. um you know Contrast is a p- very powerful um, kind of
2: tool, tool yeah,
1: yeah, that you can use. Um, so let's say, like, first movement is very energetic and then it ends in a kind of fiery fashion. And then the next movement is very um, kind of stately or mournful, even like slow, like procession. And mm-hmm. then you have again. Uh, a more lively section followed mm-hmm. by something where where the piece kind of rounds up and um, yeah peters out yeah so yeah i think i think I, th- I, th- I think in more abstract terms okay um it's it's less about um let's say trying to actually i want to experiment with scoring let's say scoring videos Mm-hmm. Short films or something like that, mm-hmm. um, but at this point, I'm yeah. The narrative that I'm thinking of is is more abstract.
0: Yeah, perfect, great. So let me just let's take a step back and 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 like I, I I I'm really curious about what's your take on this. So we we both. Talked about a little bit before uh, about the visa meme, which is like the meme mm-hmm. that originated all this podcast. This idea of a modern golden age, and 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 mm-hmm. you just said uh, when we are talking that that you believe that community was like uh, or or these kinds of relationship and discussion, you know, talk about intellect, were part of this modern golden age. And to me, that makes absolute absolute sense. But also, music is at least to me actually a great element of this modern golden age because i believe that we need some songs and hymns and and, and 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 yeah overall pieces of music that somehow connect us and allow us to have like this shared idea of of and, and art in general we need art in general to get to a, a stage in humanity where we actually are living with um some different values or or treating the planet in another way. And I was really curious to, to ask you two things about this, this topic of the modern golden age. The first one is, what is to you, uh, like the, uh, the modern golden age, how you see that, that idea? And also, how, what's the role that you think music will play in that same uh, uh, idea?
1: Yeah, this is a huge topic, of course. And um, I think... Yeah, there are so many people who are undiscovered. um, And I really want them to be discovered. And for me personally, it was like a fateful encounter, right? I I wish that there were more, um, yeah, excuses or more, not even excuses, but more structures in the world or things that, allow this fateful inc- encounters to happen and mm. then help those people who, like, again, like even like four years ago, three years ago, I couldn't imagine that I would be able to write music, right? Yeah, um, yeah it, took, it took meeting people who I admired and um, who were inspiring to me to take this step. Um, yeah, it's about access to the resources, but ac- access to people. Um, and yeah, being in like nurturing environment where Mm. what you do matters, what you say matters. Um, and yeah, just like, I think, yeah, talent search in that sense and, um, creating spaces where people can connect are for sure, like one of the major components of bringing about the golden age. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like there's so much already in place for it to happen, but it's more like about connecting dots, connecting people to the right resources, and like, um, and and like, you know, it can be at different scales or also, right? I think we're a little bit obsessed with, oh, look at the example of Athens, of look at the example of Florence or Vienna. Mm -hmm. Those were like, uh, you know, kind of bright examples of where 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 what we now see as golden age happens right yeah. there's also like a bit of re- retrospective view right yeah um and maybe we are already in it in in our golden age which people from 100 years from now 100 years from now would see it as um but yeah i think there's still so much undiscovered uh yeah diamonds in the rough
2: yeah
1: um, that they just need need someone to encourage them. I think also this is this is a a subject that comes up a lot in visa threads and also generally uh, on twitter this this corner of twitter that it really matters um, when people encourage you because even if you are doing something that's cool, um, you may not be even aware of it yeah <laughs> and and like it's important. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be to to do things for for their own sake, right? To be kind of selfish, self-sufficient in that regard. That like finding joy in what you're doing, and um, you know, not relying on external encouragement or something like that. But more often than not, um, it's really important—not um, just um, to be encouraged by other people, but also feel like what you're doing matters. matters. Um, yeah. that it also can bring joy to other people, whether it's music that you're writing or the, you know, handcraft that you're making or, you know, you're teaching or um, just about everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, this is very tightly connected to the education and education systems of course. where, yeah, like... I feel like i just spent a lot of time um optimizing for wrong things to be honest like i i loved studying i was just insatiable for knowledge but then i i had to kind of spend my time doing things that in the end didn't matter Mm -hmm. you know um but they were required by the educational system to pass whereas i could spend like so much time just like you know just freestyling like exploring Whatever I'm interested in, plus having people I could talk about that with, right? So, again, the subject of tutoring comes up, and this is also, you know, if you like do a historical analysis of the Mm -hmm. past golden ages, this is something that comes up, yeah, like a lot of the, yeah, that a lot of the, you know, most brilliant people that we now, uh, you know, see as geniuses, they have been tutored or at least had some kind of unstructured education that wasn't confined mm-hmm. by the formal education. Um so yeah, like a lot of components, right? And I feel like a lot of the things already exist in place, mm-hmm. but it's about distribution or about connection.
0: Connection. Yeah.
1: Yeah, about the connection. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I, I, I'm I'm totally on board on that. In fact, like I, I believe that we will get there by there's there's a set of specific which i don't know what are those but there are a set of specific at least i believe of specific values and beliefs and, and, and practices and goals that in order for us to get to about a bottom golden age we need to somehow share um and and what i do believe is that there's a lot of people that already share those but somehow we are still not connected with each other and 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 like i i when i was starting this podcast i always thought that well i need to have like this clear vision of what the modern golden age is so i can talk about it then i I decided that who am i to, to to just make that vision i have no idea but what i can do is to connect people that somehow share with this and maybe together we can build like this this vision that will be far more complete and far better than what I can do. Right. And so what you're talking about, like the, the, the fact that we can make connections with people that somehow share those values like supporting each other or practices like supporting each other, like um sharing uh, ideas, like uh building different connections and 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 projects and and yeah having like this these different um communities that somehow can help us craft a bigger vision than than what we already have and in, in some place i believe as well that we're already in this golden age so let's not call it maybe modern but we mm-hmm. we need to connect with each other in order to build that that vision and so can, just just to go back like what do you think will be the role of music uh in in, in this in this uh endeavor oh. yeah that's you know
1: one thing about his- of music is that it feels like all the big names are in the past somehow,
2: Mm.
1: and um, in our time there are just like incredibly admirable performers, um, some of whom also compose, but again, um, I can't think of a, you know, a recent work of the 21st century. That would have such a st- incredibly strong emotional effect on me as music from Baroque or like um, even 20th century mm. uh, has had on me, and I, you know, I puzzle over this. I don't quite understand what is it that, um, you know, I'm talking about classical music, right? Because in yeah. other genres, yeah, you can also talk about stagnation or. Um, it is as if we are recycling things that were in the past. It's it's not like, um, you know, things are completely novel at any time in history. They Mm -hmm. always draw on what has come before, but uh, sometimes they, uh, they feel like a a huge jump forward, right? Or, or, Or they strike you as something novel or a new voice like a new, new composer has like a very distinct voice um, that we recognize you know among thousands of others, and I'm thinking now that maybe um, places where breakthroughs can happen <laughs> so. are um, are in at the boundaries between different genres that probably haven't met before, mm. right. I guess that's why I'm I'm. I'm yeah, that's what you're personally, doing. I feel, yeah, I feel exhilarated about it because just like the very process of it, it, I'm not even talking about the result or how many people will listen to it eventually, you know, it's, it's like, it's secondary, but the very fact of creating something that's at the boundary of two things that haven't mixed before or mm-hmm. not as much, it's incredibly fulfilling yeah right and I think there theres there are a lot of interesting things that can happen at these boundaries that don't really know each other yet as much
2: mm-hmm.
1: right it, it it doesn't I mean maybe yeah maybe you can't mix everything with everything else, but there are some tasteful combinations that I think are yet to be discovered or maybe they are being developed, but we don't know much about them yet mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's where <laughs> a big. Potentialize, and again, yeah. this is about um, connecting people, and I think with music it's um, <clears> Oh, <throat> no, that's, fine. that's fine That's um it's more about like discoverability right than because we have we can stream anything at any time with the tools that we have yeah um. So we can explore I don't know folk recordings from late nineteenth century where when recordings became possible up to or even like how they are enacted um, in this day I think yeah folk music still as it has been a cradle for for music for yeah. composed music, it is still like a like inexhaustible source of new ideas yeah. that can be reimagined or like reformulated or. Somehow modified uh, to bring about you know a thing of beauty
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so yeah I, I think yeah it's it's about discovering new things and then uh, trying to create potions, uh, mixtures of things that uh, haven't been put together before yeah yeah, yeah so
0: I, I I definitely agree on that and with that and, and in fact, I actually believe that that whole approach is, is, is actually something that it makes sense to this modern golden age, not only music, but in all these different areas. In fact, one of the things that I'm fascinated about is like how these, some people mix two seemingly uh, different areas or contexts and somehow mix them all up in, in, in the same worldview. Like I I remember that when I, when I changed, in fact, I, I even wrote about this, like when I, moved from music to starting to um, do some corporate training and, and all that and entrepreneurship and, all, and entrepreneurship and all that stuff I remember a lot of people asked me like don't you feel bad about wasting all that time studying music and my answer was always the same which is, I don't see that as wasted time like there's a bunch of lessons that I've learned while learning how to improvise how to read music how to play with musicians how to uh, all that Th- those are really valuable lessons in these other contexts. And so I do believe that in order for us to get to a modern golden age, we definitely need to do more of that, like mix your different areas that seemingly were opposites and and create something which is more complete. And in that sense, doing a segue, that's what you do, because you have like, we only talked about music so far. And, uh, but but I really want to touch a little bit on the other topic, which is basically your your full-time job and, and your other focus, which is biology. And so my question would be, what are some of um, those like connections between these two areas? That, that that how how do they complement each other? Like, what music has, has as taught you about biology, and maybe what biology is, as or, or how do they resonate um, in in each other? Am I making sense? Am I is is the question clear? Yeah, yeah, totally clear. It's just, I think um,
1: what biology teaches you is that um, structures of life are incredibly complex Mm -hmm. and they are fractally complex. So you can think of an ecosystem, you can think of separate ecological niches, then you can think about populations of organisms, species... And you can think about individuals, like an organism, and then you can go deep into the organism. Like, like it's organs, tissues, cell types, then subcellular structures. So it goes all the way down to, you know, molecules. Mm. Um, so yeah, it gives, definitely gives you an appreciation of, of the diversity of structures and how they are nested within each other and how they connected to each other. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that I chose biology as my, um, yeah, as my research area, specifically it was neuroscience and developmental neurobiology. Um, but I'd say, yeah, maybe like it helps me a little understand a little bit better how music cognition happens mm. um, but yeah, I would'd say the structural aspect and and cognitive aspect is what uh, is where I see some crossovers between yeah. biology and music, um, but I don't think they necessarily have to be even connected, you know
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you can you can have like just a fascination and interest in things that yeah may not have much to do with each other but I yeah I do think that yeah in terms of like this structural uh aspect and uh our own understanding our own perception of music uh there are lessons to to be drawn from
0: biology yeah because I I I, I wasn't maybe I not maybe I definitely wasn't clear because my point is that we don't have to have a direct relationship I ask if those happen but i I do believe that somehow you 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 have insight from biology and insight from music that you, you that you use in your own worldview right and they complement each other that's mm-hmm. that's what I that's what mm-hmm. I mean um, yeah so just a bunch of more questions uh like what you said that you were there was a moment where you had like music and sciences uh, uh together and you were drawn to science like what draws you to 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 sciences and specifically to, to neurobiology like what do you enjoy in that area
1: yeah i think again this is just like an insatiable urge to know how things work uh, i cannot break it down to any like more mm. elementary i guess parts it's just like yeah. a desire to know um and just like uh, you know, I went to college in Moscow at Moscow State University and um, I just remember to this day being like like just listening to lectures was like eyes wide open and almost jaw dropped um, just because of the things I was hearing that, mm-hmm. oh, I had no idea things work this way. And not only is it amazing how they work, but also it's amazing how we came to understand how they work. Mm. So there's always like this, like two levels of, like, um, astonishment, right? First of all, we are told what are all these parts of the cell or how, uh, you know, gene expression is regulated or um, how, um, yeah, how neurons connect us to the external world and make, make us respond to it. Um, so there, yeah, there's this first level of, oh, I'm absorbing this information and it blows me away. And then I'm thinking, well, how, how on earth people have figured this out? And then that's like more of history of science, which is also an incredible topic. Um, and I guess yeah, for me, it kind of goes hand in hand, uh, like research and then history of science, history of research, and then philosophy of science. I think, yeah, actually, I wish there were, there were more emphasis on both history and philosophy of science for mm-hmm. graduate students or just like anyone who's studying
0: the subjects mm-hmm. there's a lot to learn from it. yeah so you, yeah. you just you, you just made me realize an insight which is uh like most people that i want to have on the podcast and most people i believe are somehow connected with this uh do share what you just call and i love it the desire to know uh, like this this extreme curiosity about how the world works and, and even if totally different areas like you have biology some other people that I want to share have like all that interest in all these different areas so so th- maybe curiosity is also a pillar of this modern golden age that we're, that we're seeking mm-hmm. um, yeah so Ucar, uh I, I'm, I'm out of questions and I, I really enjoy it I do want to ask you one last question though which is um, if people want to follow you online and connect with you, um, what are some of the best places to do and how, where they can learn uh, and hear, actually listen to your music? Tell us a little bit about, about that before we go.
1: Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and I'm very happy there in my corner of um, people that I really enjoy interacting with and I, that I, I learn a lot from. Um, so it's just my first name, underscore, last name. That's my handle. And I also have a YouTube channel where I post recordings of my, of my music. Um, and that's also under my name. Um, yeah, I also started writing a blog. It's not yet, um, yeah, it doesn't have m- m- many entries yet, but I definitely want to um, you know, devote more time and effort in, uh, in it um, going forward
0: yeah so there you go we'll leave all those links in the description as well as all the pieces that you 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 mentioned throughout the way i'll ask you the links for for those so we can add them to and uka once again thank you so much for coming uh it was a real pleasure to have that conversation to everyone listening to you you can subscribe to the podcast in your favorite streaming platforms and i'll see you in the next episode thank you
1: thank you so much it was so lovely